Hi, son. Um, well, we do, um, one of the things we do here at Liminal that actually got me really stoked when my wife and I first came here was uh, there's not just this one lead pastor that comes up and you see every week. So that is uh, my lead-off disclaimer, that if you're showing up here for the first time and everything I say just bores you to death, you'll come back uh, another time, you're going to hear somebody totally different, and it'll be really awesome. So maybe think about that and consider that with what you hear. Um, One of the other uh, things that I get to do normally is I get to come up here and be the service host and do announcements. Um, And so I'm actually going to play double duty today and lead off with that. So if uh, if you're new with us, First off, um, as Jared said, welcome. We're really stoked that you're here. Um, And if you are new, we would love for you guys, if you get a chance, we have these little connection cards. They're in the back corner. We have them out in the front, too. So maybe fill one of those out. We would love to get to know you guys and uh, go into that. Now, this is uh, my second disclaimer of the night. I might hit a few of these. My second one is, uh, with this teaching team, uh, you guys are getting the exciting privilege of hearing me my first time joining the teaching team. So you guys are part of this wild experiment called put the guy with the tattoos up in the front. So, um, so with that, uh, the other thing, um, normally we, you know, obviously being our evening candlelight service, it's a little different than we normally do it. Um, I am going to kind of go into a whole teaching, but we have our whole families here and everything. So if anything starts getting a little stir-crazy with the little ones, uh, my wife's going to be out in the uh, kids' room out there. If you need to take them out there, you can do that. Um, Let's go ahead and kick this off. Uh, Let's see. I'll go ahead and start with that first verse there in Matthew, if you want to. Perfect. All right, I'm going to go ahead and read. And then we'll jump into it. So in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, I'm reading from uh, New Living Translation because I, I like the way it kind of reads more story-wise. But it says in there, and this is uh, the angel <clears throat> coming to Joseph. As Joseph uh, considered the news that Mary was pregnant, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, the son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to make Mary your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. He's speaking of the prophet Isaiah here. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I could leave it at that, but we're going to continue. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we'll get started. Lord, thank you for uh, this night as we get prepared to celebrate the birth of your son. Thank you for uh, what you did through the incarnation and coming to be with us, Lord. And um, my big prayer right now leading off, God, is don't let me mess this up. Um, Whatever you have to say tonight, God, I ask that uh, you would speak Uh, in spite of me, and uh, I I ask that it would fall on the ears that you want it to hear, Lord. I hope that your spirit is with us today, and uh, I hope that we can come into this space and leave this space with a greater joy, Lord, as uh, your presence, I do believe, produces that, God. We love you, Lord. 
Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to take a drink. We'll just jump in. All right. So if you have been uh, here with us at Liminal before, you've probably uh, become familiar with Wayne's very useful uh, metaphor thing that he talks about the diamond. We talk about this quite a bit, about uh, how the gospel or God's story uh, can be described as this diamond where we can, we can kind of turn it and look from different angles. We can shift our perspective and see through the different facets. <clears throat> and this applies to all kinds of different little avenues and stuff throughout the scripture. We can look through all these different angles. And some of us may have come up uh, on a very uh, narrow view of one particular angle of like, this is the way. But I'm very grateful for this idea that we can kind of look around, we can shift, and we can be kind of open to looking uh, through different lenses. Now, for me, specifically, this has been something that's been present in my walk since I was uh, you know, coming to the Lord at a young age. And the way it's played out for me is uh, it, it plays through these different seasons. So I'm kind of a nerd about a lot of this stuff. I like to uh, read the books and uh, listen to all the different perspectives on, you know, what does this uh, ancient Jewish word mean, and get into all that kind of stuff. And in that seasonal type of approach that's happened in my life, I go through these different seasons where I'm wrestling with a particular question or a specific subject through Scripture. Um, and uh, <clears throat> that's kind of where I wanted to start off with because this latest season that I've been in, it, it, sometimes these seasons will cross over. I, I've gone through these things of, for the last 10 to 20 years, I've been dealing with this idea of uh, Jesus through nonviolence views. Um, I've struggled and, and worked through, and I'm still working through what actually does it mean in the Bible when it talks about God's sovereignty and these kind of things. <laughs> Fortunately or unfortunately for you guys as you show up here tonight, the latest season that I've been uh, kind of working through and struggling through has been this idea of uh, what happens when we die. So I promise that there is a, uh, a Christmas message in this. Um, I, we're not going to just spend this time doing a little, you know, uh, contemplating our mortality and all this kind of stuff. But, but that question of what happens when we die is, um, has been what's on my mind. Now, as I go through these seasons, uh, probably the most pivotal and kind of big leap of growth and maturation uh, that I've come through wrestling with this stuff was, um, and, and this church here, Liminal, has been very pivotal for me in this, but I came to this point where I finally started to become comfortable and a little more open to my own uncertainty, and uh, I find myself more and more comfortable with this uh, simple but very difficult to speak out uh, answer of, you know, when you're asked these hard questions, these mysteries and all this stuff, uh, I've come to this place where I can say, I don't, I don't really know. And that's been huge for me. Now, in the tradition that I came up in, and uh, I'm sure that so many of you can relate to this, um, that's not always been okay. So this idea of being able to say, I don't really know, in, in a lot of the, um, oh, I'm not going to name names or whatever, but in a lot of the, the kind of spaces that I came up through, there's been this idea that if you say, I don't really know, it's somewhat a confession of a lack of faith. 
And I've been through times when I've been shamed for that, uh, saying I don't have the answer, um, with certain stances and, and um, just ideas that, that the church here and the body here that we've been in, certain things that we've embraced, I've celebrated those things in this space, and I've been hit with this response of like, that's not the gospel, that's not it, it's really hard and very hard-lined. Um, but as I'm growing and wrestling through this, and I hope this is ha- happening with you, as I dig into these things, as I become comfortable with saying, I don't really know, um, I feel it's not a lack of faith. For me, being able to say, I don't really know, has been so enriching to my faith. Um, and as I was digging into this and seeing what I was going to say tonight, I wanted to kind of let you guys know where I was coming from. But I was wondering, why has that been the thing? Why am I becoming um, stronger in my faith somewhat when I can approach these things and say, I don't have the answers? And uh, I think, and this could be a little off, but I think for me, it's evolved into this space of, I say I don't really know, but then it moves into this thing of like, well, I don't really know, but... And that but has been crucial to me. I hope you don't just cut that little snippet and put that on. The The but has been crucial to me. But um, I don't really know but. And it's that space that I'm going to be talking from tonight because um, in this season as I've been trying to figure out what's going on, what happens when we die, more specifically, what does the Bible say happens when we die? And um, how is that different than I was taught, you know, that answer that I have come to at least right now and the thing that I, that's, that's welling up for me is that exact answer. I don't really know, but. And, and it extends in this thing of like, okay, I don't really know, but Jesus says he's going to be with me. And um, that is what's, that's going to be our question right now. That's what we're going to move into. What does that mean uh, he seems to think saying that he's going to be with me is enough to sustain my faith. That's the answer he gave in Scripture to his, uh, to his followers, and it seemed to be enough. Let me jump back in my notes. I have this thing. I, I, I've taught in the past, and I have this thing where I start to like, go off on these rabbit trails, so I'm going to try and stick to the notes tonight. Um, okay. So... So what does this mean when he says he's going to be with me? Um, some of the traditions that we've had in, in the past and kind of how I was grown up, it, it's broken into this space of, or, or this idea of if I come and I live this good life and uh, usually on the contingency of like saying the prayer, accepting Jesus into my heart, when I die, I'm going to go off to this place called heaven. And this place is bright white. I wrote in my notes, it looks, usually in my mind, it's kind of like the beautiful kitchens that my wife designs. It's all pretty and white. There's gold, there's harps, there's all that kind of stuff. But as I dig into the scripture, that's not uh, exactly the the story that gets laid out for me. Um, So with that, I'm looking back to what Jesus says when he says he's going to be with me. The Bible um, does have that idea of heaven, and, and earth and, and those kind of things. But it's in a different kind of, uh, a different kind of layout than, than maybe 
like I just said, the white kitchens and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm going to, actually, there's an N.T. Wright quote you can throw up there. Cool. Yeah, so I'm not, I, one of the things I've been a fan of lately, I've been reading a lot of N.T. Wright. Now, I'm not cool enough yet to refer to him as Tom, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that. So as it says up there, what Tom uh, Wright says in his book, Simply Christian, heaven, in this very common biblical sense, is God's space as opposed to our space, not God's location within our space-time universe. So the question is then whether God's space and our space intersect, and if so, how, when, and where. Now, uh, as we look at that, I'm going to use Tom's question there. Um, when God's space and our space come together, when we are with God, when he is with us, where do we see that in Scripture? I'm going to jump back uh, right at the very beginning, actually, the creation poem. Now, uh, some of the other teachers, actually, I would, I would venture to say all the other teachers that are on the teaching team probably are deeper heads on Jewish tradition, uh, especially Wayne with um, what he's teaching from. I kind of refer to him as rabbi sometimes. But uh, I'm not sure how much Jewish tradition today links back to this, but I do know in Scripture it seems like Paul looked back to the creation poem. Jesus looked back to the creation poem. And, uh, you know, it's also good enough for Tom Wright, so I'm going to go there. Um, so in the creation poem, again, turning the, the diamond and looking through some of these different lenses, uh, in my tradition that I came up in, it was always looking at this, in some sense, starting at chapter 3. Starting at, you know what, we messed it all up. This is going in the bad direction, and that's where it is. But if we, we kind of go before that in the two different uh, creation accounts in chapters 1 and 2, um, we see this beautiful design as it's coming out. We see God creates this garden. He creates everything. He puts the beasts and everything into this garden. He puts us in there. Now, as I said, turning that diamond, <clears throat> something that's kind of cool about that is this garden motif uh, it would have been recognized in ancient cultures. Um, now, the ancient Jewish traditions aren't the only ones we see with these different gardens in these cultures where they would have these kings that, that were in themselves believed to be deity. Uh, this was something that they would do. They would have these beautiful, ornate gardens, and they would uh, sometimes place wild beasts in there, and they would have all these beautiful plants and everything, and this was showing their splendor and the glory of their kingdom, and then they would take these statues, and usually it would be statues of the king or something like that, to, to reflect his own power and glory, and these would be placed in that garden, and you could go and you could see all this, and it's all just reflecting and pointing out that glory of that king, his powerful rule, and uh, just his beauty in all this. So, I'm not sure which we're tapping into, the uh, you know, chicken and egg kind of thing, but the, the writers, as it was passed down in this tradition, speak in that motif, and in that same idea, you have this beautiful garden, you have all these creatures, and, and God takes man, and he makes him in his own image, man and woman, sets them right there, and we are there to reflect his glory the same way that it would have been understood in those ancient cultures. We were there to show his power, his beauty, and how it was going to be. Now, I was joking with my wife last night as we were talking about this. She was asking me what I was going to talk about, and 
I talked about the creation story, and I was saying that, uh, in a sense, everything was kind of perfect there at the beginning. The animals were all together. We're naming them. Man, come on through. Yeah, you're a dog. You're a chicken. You know, that kind of stuff. And, and we're just living in this uh, beautiful Narnia of these happy vegetarians that were all naked and hanging out there. Um, now, there's a, a, there's a line in um, chapter 3. I'm only going to take the first half of the verse, but coming into this, as all this has been created, and this happens uh, right after we made a bad choice, and uh, it says in chapter 3, verse 8, at the beginning of that verse, it says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. Now that right there, just that little snippet, uh, I have to confess as, as I'm digging through all this stuff, since a young age, my view of heaven, when I was thinking of heaven in this sense of I'm going to go and be in this place, that was always it right there. I just had this idea of like, I'm going to be walking in the cool of the day with the Lord. Um, but the crazy part about this verse, as, as we look back to that, is this wasn't happening in some far off space in this. This was happening very much on in, in the N.T. Wright idea. If you have God's space and our space, this was happening on earth in our own space. And in fact, this is kind of as God comes walking, uh, we're off hiding. So this is sort of the last time that that connection is happening in the beginning of that story. Now, this connection, as we'll see it in months to come, um, we're going to be in the teaching team, we're going to be moving forward with this series on uh, Shalom. And as I speak through tonight, that's going to be kind of the word that I'm going to throw out there to talk about what this means. This idea of being together as we were designed with God, with creation, with each other, that was this idea of shalom. It was complete. It was, um, it was flourishing, life-giving. Um, but in this garden also, we, we see in this picture how the poem's laid out there are these, these two choices that are there. So, you know, we have this tree of life, which we could say represents that shalom path that we were originally designed, we were set on this, and it was going to flourish, it was going to go on, it was going to be beautiful. Or there was this other path, this other tree that we chose to eat from. And I'll go ahead and use the language on this that we'll refer to that path as I move forward as empire. So in this sense... We had this way that God made it that we could live and everything could be in that design as it was made to be, or we could make this choice to go ahead and take it on our own, and we could take control of it. We could uh, leverage power and do all those kind of things that we decided to do. Now, with that choice, this connection is broken, right? When we choose to go our way, shalom is broken, and uh, that sets us forth on this path that is the exact opposite. It, it opposes life. It brings about death and destruction. This sends us into division with God. It sends us into exile. And there's a breaking of, as N.T. Wright talked about it, that overlapping, that intersection of God's space and our space. Now, as we set out from the garden, we go through this thing, the rest of the, uh, the Old Testament, and I would say all the way leading up to Jesus, you could say a lot about God. God is the God of many things. But uh, I think you could easily make the argument that God is the God of accommodation. 
And that's what most of the rest of those books seem to be leaning into. With death and destruction set in course across this, our space now, uh, God's space of flourishing in life, it can't occupy that same space. God is holy, his space is holy, and he will not be in that place where sin has stained this stuff. So I would, I would make the argument that, that sin could be described as that. Any way that's living um, in a way that unleashes empire into that space. As we move in a way that is not congruent with shalom, that's not congruent with uh, God's design, we're, any of that is moving into what we would call sin. Now, in God's accommodation, though, he, you see through the temple system, you see this, uh, this accommodation through the tabernacle first and then as the temple was built, this accommodation where he's, he's creating these places where we can now come back together in those spaces. They're little blips, but through the cleansing and, and as hard as it is to kind of comprehend, through cleaning with blood, uh, we make this space now that is clean for us to be overlapped and once again together with God. Now, this, though, as we know, and this is what's leading us into, like I said, I promise there's a Christmas message here. Um, but what's leading us into this is this was just a placeholder. These were, we see these spaces throughout the Old Testament. We see uh, Moses meeting at the burning bush. We see these temple practices. We see God speaking through his messengers and all this stuff. But it was not going to, uh, it was, it was not going to be eternal in those little blips. So, this brings us to the song that we just sang and uh, to what it said in, in Matthew, but this brings us to Emmanuel. So Jesus, Emmanuel, so Jesus is God with us. And uh, it's a wild concept. We have in this baby that was born in this manger, we have fully God, fully man, the exact embodiment the exact representation, as it says in Hebrews, of God the Father. So a little side note on that, exact representation. Well, what were we designed to be at the beginning? We were designed to be that representation, that reflection, showing it off. Jesus comes in in that little baby in the manger, and he's doing it from the beginning. He's reflecting that. Now, we can see that this is true, and we can testify to this because Jesus as he grows and goes through his life and goes through his ministry and then eventually goes to the cross, he overcomes death. So going back to those two spaces, like I said, um, God's space and, and empire cannot be in the same space, but Jesus living it out perfectly, being God and man together, those two spaces overlapping in himself, he overcomes death. And one of the things that I think is really rad about this is that there's this idea that shalom, shalom will overcome empire. It's, it's always going to win. So these, these things of uh, love, love overcomes pain. Love's going to win in the end. Joy's going to win over despair. Joy, peace, patience, gentleness, all those things that way, all those nine fruits that Paul talks about, they're going to win over all this stuff that we look out and we see. Now, if you're, if you're joining in on this walk, if you're <clears throat> walking in this faith and you're buying into that thought, 
that this stuff is going to win, that, that love will win, that living in this way is going to overcome all this empire stuff, you're probably, many times, especially nowadays, you're probably banging your head against the wall thinking, like, I feel crazy. It doesn't, it doesn't look like it's winning. I look around, and uh, war is still happening, as we so blatantly know. Um, we see... Uh, we see weird representations of what we believe, or, or I'm not even going to say what we believe. We see weird representations of what the name of Jesus means, and it doesn't look like this way that we're talking about. Um, but I, I have to say this is the cornerstone of my faith, this idea that, that love is going to win, that shalom and walking in that way with God is going to overcome. It's supernatural. It's crazy, but that's what I believe in. That's how it's going to work. And in a silly way, not trying to make too many jokes tonight, but like, even though it seems crazy, that's how we're supposed to look weird. And I say that because there are so many other ways that we've created to look weird. If you identify as a Christian, um, we, yeah, I still trip out on the reverb on the music. There's a specific, I could flip through the dial on a radio station, I could tell you which song is a Christian song before I even hear the words. There's um, words that we use. I've never, outside of a church, I've never heard anybody else use the word foyer. And I've never heard anybody else use the term doing life. I just want to do life together with you. Like, these things, we've, we don't realize sometimes, and this is fine because this is the culture that I'm in. This is the culture that we've come up in. Um, I don't mean to belittle it, but we don't realize how unrelatable it is to people in the world. We've figured out thousands of other ways to look weird. But this right here, Choosing peace over this myth of redemptive violence. Choosing um, love in spaces where other people waving the Christian flag say we're supposed to hate. That's where we're supposed to stand out and look weird. And believing that as much as it may make us feel crazy, um, I believe that that is the path that we're supposed to be on. And I think that if we're going to buy into this idea that Jesus is perfectly human as humanity was designed to be from the very beginning, and if he's reflecting God's glory as we were designed in that garden to do, and he's living out the way of shalom perfectly, then we look to that, and you know the what would Jesus do movement may have seemed a little off at times, but there is this idea that we're gleaning from this. What does this path look like? How does my life play out in this way? And it's going to be those things that are going to be supernatural Countercultural, not even just culture in the sense of like where we live here in Ventura County and all that stuff, but in, in the world. As I said from the beginning, this choice was made, an empire got unleashed and all this stuff, and we're living now thousands of years down the line where it's hard to even imagine outside of that system. It's in everything, it's in all of the different isms that all the different countries um, set their economic standings on, it's in all of the different. Uh, I don't know. I, it, it saddens me, but it's also, um, I, I come back to this thing. As, as I said, the seasons overlap, and so that the season of, uh, of peacemaking and the season of nonviolence is still very, very fresh in my understanding of what this Christian life looks like. So when I see uh, all these different attitudes from churches trying to decide what the right way to deal with war and those kind of things. It seems so weird because I feel like 
And Wayne mentioned it this morning, a third way. There's a different way that we're supposed to be on, and it doesn't make sense to anybody. And it doesn't make sense because in this empire system that we're living in, it doesn't work. But we believe that it's going to go forward and overcome. Now, a side note on that. Why do we believe that? Well, I heard recently, I thought this was really cool, but it was talking about uh, the way ancient Israel would have uh, looked at the idea of prophecy. Now, ancient Israel didn't look to prophecy in this sense of we're telling the future. And I think we've grabbed onto that quite as, you know, he's prophesying of what's going to happen. But it was more this idea of the prophets came along as reminders of promises that God had made and basically coming back in and telling the people, hey, we got a God that's going to keep his promise. They might lay out all these things that are going to happen, but it's all just affirming that God is a God who keeps his promises. Um, There's a verse in Isaiah, if you want to throw it up, John. In Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, uh, the prophet says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's hosts will make this happen. The prophet isn't, just like I said, he's not just being a fortune teller here. He's looking back and he's reminding us of this promise, uh, namely that promise that was made at the beginning. When we... When we saw God walking in the cool of the evening, um, God went on to to tell that ancient snake through all that stuff. He says, uh, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your uh, your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now, that's kind of weird language, but um, most of church history would believe that that is... A, uh, a promise of God from the very beginning, from that early poem, uh, telling that, uh, you know, though we may walk with a limp, I think of uh, Ransom for any C.S. Lewis nerds out there that ever read the Space Trilogy, but uh, we might walk with a limp getting hit in the heel. Jesus is going to strike that headshot, and he's going to overcome as we say, the devil and that ancient snake, but um, specifically, he's going to overcome empire. And Jesus did this. Um, he did this on the cross. And after he, he went to the cross, he made us a promise. And what I'm saying right now, and what we see looking back on this, um, in that same idea of prophecy, looking back and reminding, uh, it's a promise he's going to keep. And that's what all this is coming back to. This is going to bring me to my closing as I rambled on. I don't know if any of this made any sense, but I had fun. Okay. What happens when we die? I don't really know, but what I do know is that Jesus, God, says that he will be with us. He is God with us, and he will do... I'm sorry, he will remain with us. And this is a joyous answer. We can look, as we look to tomorrow and celebrate his birth, we can look to to him coming back. That's a reminder that he was going to keep his promise. Uh, 
Then we look through the life that he lived, and we see the words that he said through that life, and that's a reminder that he's going to keep his promise. And uh, <clears throat> we look to the death on the cross, and then we looked after that, and there's reminders that he's going to keep his promise. Now, I always love, I don't know if you guys are a fan like me, but uh, the thief on the cross. It's one of my favorite characters in all of the Bible. And the reason is, he's this monkey wrench that gets thrown in there. He never prayed a prayer as we've been taught we need to pray. He was never baptized. He didn't do anything. He didn't uh, fall in line and learn all the systematic theology as we've been trained that we need to. Um, but Jesus said to him, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. And uh, there's a couple reasons why that's rad. One of the reasons is that word paradisos, as it is in Greek, um, it's the same word that they use in uh, what we would call the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Um, and you know where it's used? It's used to describe the Garden of Eden. And that's, that's what all of this is about. It all started in a garden. And while we set out from that garden and we went in and joined in on this path of empire and these two spaces were split, this plan has always been that we're going to renew this. This is what God designed from the beginning and he's going to bring it back together. Now he made accommodations through all those times, but then he sent Jesus himself with us to renew. And then Jesus goes on to say, I'm going to be with you. And we see through the high priestly prayer, there's all these things. I hope you guys get a chance to kind of Keep this in your head as you read through Scripture and see it's there, it's there, it's there, it's there. It was always meant for us to be with him. And it wasn't just this thing that we're going to go and fly away to this beautiful white place. This has always been designed for us to be living together in that shalom formula, in that shalom uh, model to be with God, to be with each other in a way that is flourishing in life, in a way that brings on more and more life. Now, while the story is not about us, it's so rad that we get to join in in this story. So when Jesus comes along, he comes back through here, he calls his 12, he goes through, through the high priestly prayer, it's just so rich with this, this stuff, but he's, he's saying to them, I'm with you, God is with you, and then he says, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. And then he tells us to go out and tell other people about what's going on. So as that plan set forth to do this, now we get to join in on this. And, you know, we can, I could go on way too long and discuss the ins and outs of what I think about evangelism. But I do think there is this great idea that what was stained, just like we talked about in the temple, what was stained with empire, what's been stained with sin, we now get to join in as Jesus did, and say, no, you, you are consecrated. This ground, this is holy ground. We can see sacred in all of the secular from now, and we get to go out and declare that. We get to reclaim God with us in that. We get to join in on the plan to bring about the garden as it's going to be. It overcomes death, and I don't really know how it's all going to work, but that's what he says he's going to do. And I'm so stoked that we get to join in on that. And uh, we did this thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close out with this. Jared, you can kind of come on up if you want. So as you came in, you guys were given candles. Let me see. I have one up here too. If any of this made sense, if that idea did kind of go from here to there, um, 
I would really be stoked as we sing these last couple songs that we could kind of have that imagery in our mind. Now, with the incarnation, with Jesus coming and being born into this world, it was a dark space ruled by empire, as it still is as we go out. But as we get to join in, if, as long as we don't burn the place down, this is what I want to do. Um, I'm going to go ahead and light my candle, and I'll go over here and go through. And I would love for us to pass the flame along from candle to candle with each. And I want us to think about this idea of we are now joining in with God, with Jesus, going out into these dark spaces and saying, no, this is God's space overlapping with our space. This is holy ground, and this is all going to be renewed and brought back to shalom as he designed it to be. Cool? All right, let's do this.